today's word, it's Gospels 3, and it's our identity as a child of God. And I'm reading from Luke chapter 4, verse 1, because the next event that's to happen in the chronology, step by step, what happened next in the ministry of Jesus, we have to agree, because there are two Gospels that say, I'm going to mention today, Matthew and Luke, speak about Jesus going into the wilderness. And I'm reading from Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. It was into the farthest extent of the dry and almost uninhabitable region of the wilderness area, right down near the Jordan, where it runs into the Dead Sea, where Jesus went to come head to head with the powers of darkness and to overcome them on our behalf. He had to overcome temptations in his time of 40 days of prayer and fasting. He would have traveled beyond the low hills. There was scrubland, you go down into a wasteland. It just seems to get worse and worse, right near the Dead Sea, which is one of the lowest places in the earth. They say it is the lowest place in the earth. So when the Bible speaks about a man went from Jerusalem down to Jericho, he certainly went down from the highest place to the lowest place. And that's where John the Baptist lived his life of prayer and fasting amongst a community of zealous, God-fearing men, disciples. And that is from where John went out preaching repentance to prepare the way of the Lord. It was a place to go, a place to live, for prayer and fasting. In fact, Moses and Elijah also prayed and fasted for 40 days and nights in wilderness areas. Moses and Joshua, in their prayer and fasting, went to Mount Horeb. Now, that wasn't the lowest place at all. In fact, Mount Horeb was the highest place in the Sinai wilderness. Jesus went to the lowest place. They went to the highest place in their wilderness. Elijah, in his prayer and fasting, went to the same mountain, but he would hear the still, small voice and speak the prophetic word of the Lord to Israel and to humanity. He spoke. His voice still speaks. He spoke on that same mountain where the law was given pronouncing the commandments. And for God's word of prophetic power and purpose, Elijah went to that same mountain. Jesus, in his prayer and fasting, took humanity to the lowest depth of the earth in Jordan, down to the Dead Sea. And he spoke God's living word himself in his time of trial, against the power of sin and disobedience to all of mankind. Not just trying to obey the law, but obeying his father directly in every instance of what the law stood for. And he took the sin of humanity into death and overcame darkness for us 
on behalf of our humanity from the lowest place on earth to fulfill the highest achievement of humanity in fully obeying the law and the commandments. So he fulfilled everything for us without ever sinning. Jesus killed off sin as being the ruler over the soul of mankind. That's what he did to bring us into new life. There's a new thing happening. Now, a very interesting feature of Luke's gospel, and I can see why each writer had a a strategy or a compelling reason to write things in the order that they did. And they each put different things in here and in there. But Luke, when he writes about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, he doesn't start, he gives an entire chapter about the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Adam, back to the beginning of humanity, testifying that Jesus is one with us in his humanity in the first Adam. Jesus is the last Adam. So we are one with Jesus in the first Adam because Jesus became like Adam and we're one with Jesus in the last Adam. Now Matthew, he's the only other gospel writer that shares the same story of the temptation in the wilderness. And he is the only other writer that gives us a genealogy of Jesus. So there's got to be some meaning in that. But when you look at Matthew's genealogy, it doesn't go back to Adam. It goes to Abraham, the root of the olive tree of Israel, not of all humanity, We've been grafted into that tree by faith. The Bible says that in Romans 11. That's us, God's people in Christ. The church have been grafted into that tree, which is Abraham, the olive tree. But more than that, we've been implanted into Jesus, the vine, not just the olive tree. 1 Peter 1.25, we've been born again of the seed or the Logos of God. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And we bear the fruit of his life. And this is an important distinction. Some people think, oh, we've got to go back into the olive tree and get grafted back in again. Yeah, we do that by faith, because that's what Abraham represented, the life of faith. But... We bear the fruit of the life of Jesus, not just of Abraham's faith. We've also inherited that. We've got Jesus, the last Adam, to go back to. We're in both trees. So I'm going to read the temptation. I thought I'd I'd do Matthew's version. They're the same version, except one temptation is put before the other. The last one. And I'll read it in Matthew's order. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry afterwards. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. If you are the Son of God. What I'm talking about today is identity, our identity as a child of God. That's on trial here. If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It's written, 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, sitting upon the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, again, prove your identity. Throw yourself down. For it is written, quotes him a scripture, Psalm 91, He will give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. It's a beautiful psalm. The devil quotes, but Jesus didn't take that as from the Lord. Jesus said to him, it's written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I'll give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. Okay, those first two temptations are prefaced by if you are the son of God, tempting Jesus to prove his identity of his being the son of God, a child of God. They were both temptations, the first one and the second one, about Jesus doing something in his own strength. And that's the temptation. In the first temptation, it was about human appetites. You want bread? You hungry? There's some rocks there, stones. Rocks into bread. In other words, you can have what you want when you want it. This is the temptation of being able to just make things happen and serve our own appetites. He was hungry the hungriest probably that anybody could ever have been. But he wasn't going to try and prove anything by doing a miracle, just to serve his appetites, his hunger. Now, the second temptation was about human performance, skill, achievement, even showmanship. Throw yourself off the pinnacle. Maybe you can do a back somersault or a three and a half with pike. Do something to show us how spectacular you are. And if anything goes wrong, angels will come. They'll look after you. So this is the temptation of using a self-selected scripture. He gave him a scripture, just to back it up. It's the temptation of using a self-selected scripture for your own advantage, for fame and glory, spectacular image, spiritual image. And that's taking the name of the Lord in vain. Jesus was having none of it. And he leaves a judicious warning for all of us. We've seen over the years how people have started off wanting to serve God and found that having a position made them feel that they had to be spectacular in that position. And they would have to say things, thus saith the Lord, and claim who they were and do spectacular things. Jesus said, no, I don't need to do that. I don't need to show off. And even quote a scripture, no, I'll stay who I am. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The third and final temptation was about Jesus being tempted to have something. In fact, to have everything that the world could offer. All the kingdoms of the world. Now, it's not a bad offer, is it? Darkness is still offering that. To anybody who wants to go in and pursue that. You want it? I'll show you how you can do it. 
all the kingdoms of the world and their glory by letting darkness rule in the heart. This final kind of temptation can start off a person desiring just to have all the resources that they want so that they can have enough power and even power and control over other people. I wonder if we see that much in today's world of political leadership or whatever. Even power and control over other people. That is the power of the world. It's a political agenda and it works in many areas of worldly power and leadership. So, Jesus said, no, you worship God, him only, not darkness. I'm not going to let that happen. Just one short illustration. I've known Christian politicians, good men. One fella, name of Jim, became friends with, a very smart young man, became a leader in politics, state politics. After three years, he resigned. And there were other Christian leaders who have resigned, but Jim said, I wanted to do good. But I was asked, look, we're going to put this bill through, but we're going to look the other way on this matter. Jim said, we can't do that. He said, look, no, we're not going to be doing this all the time, but just for the sake of being able to get the power to be able to really change things properly, let's do it this way this time. Oh, Oh, well, that sounds all right. If we change, if I do this, tell this little lie and cover up, that will give me power to actually really change things for the better. And he thought to himself, I think this is actually getting into compromise and I'll end up, it will change me for the worst. He got it. So wanting those things for ourselves... It might mean status in front of man, but it doesn't mean stature in front of God. And it doesn't give us power over temptation. See, it's a downward spiral, any one of these, but puts us in the way of temptation. So Jesus showed us. He went first. So having things, doing things, is not what gives us an identity. And having power over other people does not mean we can do the best for them. We'll do the best for what we believe they should have. But Jesus was empowered with a different kind of power and he empowers us with a different kind of power. And as far as temptation goes, Jesus has told us that in him we can overthrow powers of darkness. But as far as our identity is concerned, God has given us the greatest power on earth and the Bible actually tells us that we've been given the power to become sons and daughters of God (laughs) under and within his power that's the power on offer for us to become the child of God the devil says are you really a child of God prove it you know show off do something really spiritual (laughs) oh no thank you oh no thank you I've got a scripture for you uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> in John 1 verse 12 but as many as received him to them he gave the power to become the sons of God brothers and sisters with Jesus to those that believe on his name 
When we receive Jesus, we pick up that authority and liberty to start becoming. We start off as children being told how to do the right thing. And we learn the difference between what God approves of and what he doesn't, if we're taught well. And then we grow into grown-up sons and daughters on a journey, not just doing it because you're told, but volunteering to please the Father. Do you know that that is so powerful? Why did you do that? Oh, the Bible says I have to do that, and I'd better do it. I could go to hell. Hang on, hang on. There's another story. There's a relationship here. You can volunteer to do this to please the Father. He loves you anyway, but this is a way that you can show that you can love him back somehow. He would love that. So what we're pursuing in our lives is becoming becoming grown-up sons and daughters. It's interesting to see in these days, there's such a huge emphasis on individuality and autonomy for a child to determine their own course of life. They can actually say, this is what I am. I've got my identity and at about five or six, they're taught that you might be something else. Why wouldn't you like to be this? There are plenty of examples. And parents can get into a lot of trouble for telling a child what they should do and should not do. That's where things have come to. Now, this wasn't always the case, but today things are horrifically different. However, I believe that God is doing something in these days to put things back on track in the hearts of individuals and in families. Be aware. God said, I'll send Elijah. This is the prophet mentioned spoke to mankind and he will turn the hearts of the children to their parents and the hearts of the parents to their children in the days before the Lord comes back. I believe we're in a move of God where this is a powerful thing that God is doing in hearts. He is getting us back to where things should be, family. People's hearts are changing because one member of the family might be going through stuff and all of a sudden a compassion comes out of a father or a brother or a, or a sister for that other one that they'd never felt before. And there's a change of heart and there's a bonding and there's a redemption of the past. And God says, you're on track. And there's wisdom that can come from parents to hear what God's speaking into families because that's his model. That's what the devil was going against with Jesus. Not just show that you're a good spiritual person, Jesus. Show that you're the son of God. Jesus said, yeah, one way I can do that is be part of the family of God. It's, be, it's, it's to, to tell Father, I want to volunteer to serve him, to live for him. And also, I'm going to bring a lot of brothers and sisters with me. The devil says, no, you're not. I'm going to get them. And he said, you can try. Jesus wants us. And this is why I value the family of God so much. God sets the solitary in families, and sometimes it's the family of God. He wants us all to have a spiritual and relational family base in which to live, within which to live. Have it somewhere. And it's with him, because he's our brother. <laughs> because it's only fully done through Jesus. That's why he came. And through the son, the real big brother, that we become developed sons and daughters. 
See, Jesus' ministry was not just for us to have forgiveness of sins and to go to heaven, say, well, I think I made it, but to develop the Father's family purpose for his children in the earth. He modelled, this is Jesus, sonship to us. And he develops sonship and daughtership in us. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's what he says, Romans 8. Oh, I thought he might bear witness that we can do miracles. <laughs> He'll do it if you, if you're lined up and God wants you to do a miracle. Well, what he's doing all the time is that the spirit of God is bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He's the togetherness part of the Trinity. What do you do to do your togetherness thing? Holy Spirit, well, I get you into the family and I get you knowing that you belong to the Jesus and to the Father and I'm part of it and I'm going to get you in there and I'm going to get you with one another as well. You're no longer going to be tossed around by anxiety and fear and slavery to things that just make you have to prove yourself. But this leads us to coming to know where we truly belong and what is our true identity. We get to trust that he'll bring his future towards us. We won't become overly anxious to say, I want to know what's going to happen next in my life. That becomes a little bit simpler. We think, well, he's got it in order and I will wait for him to show me and I'll be ready to hear and to do. And those questions like, why did God allow that? God, I can't understand. I'm going to have to live the rest of my life wondering why you allowed that to happen in my life. God says, don't worry about that. I've redeemed it. You're here now. And I used all of that to get you here. And we see that the compelling purpose of God lies behind everything in life. God is divinely shaping us into agreement with his goodwill. Everything is working for that purpose, for those who want to be in that purpose. It's working together for that. And we can now trust in the knowledge and wisdom of God, not in our own abilities. That is a huge relief. <laughs> it's wonderful to know your limitations. But a willful and self-determined purpose of our own can upset the calm, relaxed peace that should be the life experience of a growing up child of God. So when we focus on becoming sons and daughters, we focus on becoming brothers and sisters. When we're caring for one another as brothers and sisters, the Father starts doing things that create something on this planet that Jesus prayed for and he's waiting for the answer. He said, Father, I've got one last prayer before I go, leave this earth. And he said, Father, I'm not praying for these alone. He's talking about his disciples and he's praying for them. Uh, but also I'm praying for the future believers who will come to me because of the testimony of these ones. This is John 17, 20. My prayer for all of them is that they will be of one heart and mind, just as you and I are, Father. That just as you're in me and I am in you, they will be in us and the world will believe that you sent me. John spoke a mouthful there out of the mouth of Jesus. So we thank you, Lord, that we can be the ones that hear your voice and honour one another. Amen.